can you really create your future out of nothing? You might be listening to this and you're 40 years old, 50 years old, you're struggling with debt and you're thinking, can I really get out of this? Is it really possible to build the life I want? Can I really, really do this? Well, today's guest emigrated to the UK from Nigeria with his mum and his family, and they built a phenomenal life out of a completely fresh start. And the concept that tomorrow is unclaimed is one that has really inspired me. So I'm super excited to share this episode with you to inspire you on your journey to build the life you really want to live. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast, and I have with me today special guest, Ken from the Humble Penny. Welcome, Ken. Hey, Alan. How are you doing? It's lovely to have you on the show. I've been thinking about doing this episode for a long, long time, especially as you've been along to a couple of the Rebel Business Schools and given talks for us, haven't you? Yes, I absolutely love everything you do, as you know. And I, I literally <laughs> oh, I love, love you too. <laughs> I literally love, like the whole thing. And I, I love coming up to those events whenever I can. And I'm, I'm really honoured that you actually invited me to come to them. So yeah, they were fun. Well, you really inspired people. And I think one of the things that inspired people was like the talk you gave was about creating a blog, building a business on a blog. And you do that in your spare time. You're a family man, a parent. And how many kids do you have now, Ken? Uh, currently two children, although that remains currently debatable. Currently two. <laughs> <laughs> and you built your blog around a full-time job and two kids, mm. which I think is like, people sometimes look at me and go, it's all right for you, Alan, you and Katie have decided not to have kids, Like you mm -hmm. have endless time. Uh, and that is probably true like we do have more time because mm -hmm. we don't have kids but you still manage to do it even though you do have two kids mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah uh i i did because do you know what it is alan i i i guess the way you i used to work at a place many years ago and they used to have this almost this caption that said attitude changes everything and I think the, the attitude you approach life with really dictates a lot of the outcome you get out of your life. And for me, I've always been very um, optimistic about life and very experimental. I, I, I really like trying stuff out. And when it came to this whole idea of blogging or YouTubing or creating an online business or all these, all the, all these fun things, I... I got a lot of inspiration from just listening to other people. I'm very good at kind of observing and learning from others and then going away and experimenting. 
And so for me, I didn't want to subscribe to, oh, I'm busy. My life's very busy. I've got a busy job as a, as a chief financial officer. I'm stacked. I've got kids. Like, I, I can't do it. It was more of a question of how do I do it? Like these guys are doing it. How do I do it? How do I actually do it myself? Um, how do I figure it out? Um, and that was really what bothered me, what really kept nudging me to say, well, actually, if people are doing this stuff, they figured out a way of doing it, what can I do? And I came up with a, an idea of um, experimenting with two hours a day. So I called it my two-hour day experiment, which is we all get 24 hours. We all know that. But what if I built, carved out two hours per day to sew into one thing? consistently for three years, what result might I get by doing that? That was my experiment. And I love that. <laughs> so, um, I, I, yeah, I basically gave myself that time. And for me, that was a period over which I said to myself, I've got three years to fail. So that means like, that's it. Like I've committed. Like it's, and, and commitment is actually a really interesting thing because I, I understand commitment from the perspective of a relationship. I've been married now almost 11 years to the same woman, dare I say. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, and commitment's actually a really interesting thing because I think it takes a particular type of individual to truly commit to something, whether it's a relationship or a business idea or a venture, because there's a core underlying why for the thing that drives them for wanting to do that. So anyway, that was what, you know, at a high level, what kind of got started, pushed me to get started. Well, I think there's some interesting things here. And one thing I really want to pick up on, because I think this is something that's made the difference for you, is it's almost a throwaway line of, I wanted to do it consistently for three years. And <laughs> I remember when like, I wanted to lose weight and I was listening to uh, this book by Tim Ferriss called The 4-Hour Body. And I would mm. listen to it and like he'd say, we did this, this, this. And then six months later, these were the results. And it was almost as if I didn't hear the six months later. Because <laughs> when I started doing it myself, I'd throw mm. myself into it. And then two weeks later, I was like, nothing's mm. happened. Nothing's changed. Uh, mm -hmm. blah, 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 and I'd swear lots and shout. And uh, mm -hmm. then Katie would say, you do realize they said six months later in the book but i think it's yeah. it's that like throwaway midline that mm. people don't hear that they expect results and this is the same for all of us like mm -hmm. i've written three blog articles why isn't mm -hmm. it working yet i've mm -hmm. i've been healthy for three days why am i not mm -hmm. 42 stone down um yeah. it's that piece and you consistently for three years mm -hmm. consistently and i think that that's that's kind of a scary prospect, which is kind of the opposite <laughs> of a mini experiment, because we talk a lot on the podcast about mini experiments, mm -hmm. put it out there, mm -hmm. see if you like it, get going. But you almost did a a maxi experiment, as it were. Yeah, because I I saw it as I've got two hours a day. Okay. And the thing about having limited resources or limited time is that you have to become quite resourceful about what you do. Mm with those limited resources. And so for me, I knew that I couldn't compete with a person who had 20 hours a week working on the same thing I was working on. So the question then was, what, what would move the needle the most 
in the, the thing I'm trying to create so that I could focus on it with my two hours a day. That was literally my way of looking at it. But then I also knew, given the nature of the beast, as it were, when you create an online business, the miracle does not happen overnight. You know, it takes a while to build an audience, takes a while to build <laughs> an email list, takes a while to like to learn the craft of writing, takes, you know, it takes a while to build personal confidence. Like you gotta remember, the reason why I went writing first was because like I always had this hang up, Alan, because I was not very good at my English when I was at school. I got a C in my English GCSE. And so for me, this writing thing was actually about, like, how can I prove that I can actually be good at writing? Something that some of my readers say, oh, okay, I think that's actually quite interesting. I enjoyed reading that. So for me, it was that three years was about, like, becoming something else, becoming someone else. I wanted to use that time to truly invest in who I was and who I wanted to become aside from who my traditional life was, which is that I've been working finance, I've been acing it, getting promotions, getting pay rises, all these things. But then like that pathway was just the traditional path. Like I could stay there and like keep getting paid, but I felt something else was missing. And so this alternative mm. path, path was, for me was necessary to become who I've become today on my journey so far. Like. I have so many questions, um, so many <laughs> questions. Uh, something else was missing. Mm. Like, what was that thing that was missing between the finance world and what you created? Because you basically mm. had a side hustle for three yes. years. Yes. And mm. eventually dropped off. And I think before mm. you answer that question, the missing piece, like just mm. so people can find you, because uh, they might mm -hmm. actually want to look look up your blog as they listen to this <laughs> or the YouTube channel. What do they type yeah. into Google to find you, Ken? Uh, just type in The Humble Penny. So our blog is at thehumblepenny.com and the YouTube channel as well as our Instagram and all those things are also at The Humble Penny. So you can find them all by the same keyword, as it were. Cool. So what was missing that you weren't getting in the finance world? So what was missing, Alan, was fulfillment. I was not fulfilled in my job. I was being paid really well. I was good at what I was doing. But you know how, like, uh, I felt like I, I, was, I was living an autopilot life. You know, when you're, like when you're in cruise control, you're driving a car, but you can't cruise control, for example, or, or whatever. I felt like a lot of my life was, although I was progressing and my seeking the next thing in that path, I felt like it was... I'd cruised into that career path. And I felt like for me in my personal life, there was a gap. I felt like I wanted to do something else. I could be doing so much more in the world. You know, I, I felt like when I looked around me specifically, when I looked around me, I saw a lot of people who were not doing very well financially. But when I looked around my, my job where I worked in venture capital, it was all about like people who were either millionaires or billionaires and those sort of things. Those were the... The, the ideal customer, as it were. Yeah, so it was a huge, like, void. I'm like, wait a sec. I've got people WhatsApping me going, can I please have £100? Or can I, like, there's, there's, like, something wrong here. There's a mismatch between where I'm placing my attention and my time and what where I see, like, the need. Like, there are people out there just in debt and, like, just struggling. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, am I, am I afraid to do what I know I need to do, which is to go and actually try and help with the skills that I've acquired over time to help people. Am I afraid of doing that by actually staying in my job? Um, and 
staying in the job knowing I was actually not really enjoying what I was doing any longer. I didn't really see if you know much of a future there. So doing the blog was almost my, like my safe way into what my life would become, <laughs> basically. Because <laughs> uh, you can kind of put it out there and see what happens, can't you? It's like a yeah. safer mini experiment. Yeah. Uh, you put it out there, you see if people respond, and no one responds to the first few posts. Like maybe your mum, but that's about it. And then yeah. you start to promote it, and it starts to build. Yeah, and then it you go from there. But it is a long journey. Yeah. Oh, it's a long journey. I do not even want to give anyone the wrong impression that any of this is easy <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, writing, you can get it done, but there's a, there's a science, there's an art to all this stuff, you know, and there's that element of also risk-taking and, you know, experimenting and just trying various things to see what works. And I, I hope we can talk a bit about that because that's kind of what's led me in different pathways, like starting a YouTube channel and um again it's this experimental element of like trying to see what would work and you know what outcome we might get so before we get on to the experimental level i did have a question mm. I, there was a point when you went full-time on yes. your your blog and things mm -hmm. like what percentage of the way were you to financial independence oh well no before no we were, you dived we were actually financially independent even before I started the blog. Oh, wow. So in, in 2017, oh yeah, big, but I still had my job um, because when you earn a good six-figure income, it's hard to let go of it. <laughs> 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 yeah, because um, it, it, just think about it. Like, uh, And this is something we don't often talk about a lot in that um, it, it, it's hard to... Uh, it's hard to basically live something you've done for 15 years. Yeah? yeah. And something you've built up and, you know, it's the only skill I had. I, well, I say it's the only skill. It's like my area of expertise. You know, I was a trained chartered accountant. I'd been working in finance and investment business for years. And it's hard to let that go, even though you've been managing your own personal finances and doing really uh, a good job of it. Um, letting go was a whole different thing because you become accustomed to a particular lifestyle. You know, and that money has like places it, it goes, it pays for annual holiday, it, you know, it pays for various things. So you become quite used to doing that. Um, so for me, um, letting go was the hardest thing. There was a much bigger carrot that I needed to shake off in order to actually let that happen. But COVID was what presented the opportunity. It was actually COVID that um, that kind mm. of pushed me, up, pushed me over the edge, as it were. <laughs> How... This is going to be a weird question. How did COVID push you over the edge? So um, when the pandemic happened in, uh, say, Feb 2020, March 2020, um, everything collided. So for me, the world was almost coming to an end in that, like, homeschooling became, like, a real difficult thing to do. So yes. imagine, like, I'm in this room right now where I'm at and I'm trying to work. My kids are in here. They're demanding various things. Their teachers want them to do various things. So basically, work became super, super stressful, extremely stressful and demanding because you're now working remotely. You you'd normally have office meetings, but now everyone's trying, trying to speak on Zoom or, or, or whichever online platform uh, and trying to make things happen. Then on top of that, I started struggling with my mental health. I started struggling with just work stress. So many things started to pile on. And on top of that, the humble penny was taking off 
with uh, many things we were doing. There was demand for me to go and speak here, come on this interview, come on this, come on that. I basically felt like I, I personally was falling apart. So my wife said to me, like, not being funny, for the last decade, we've been working towards us getting to a place financially where we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. Isn't this why we've been working towards doing this for so long? Why don't we actually focus on this thing properly and actually just do it? And that was really the beginning. That was it. This is where I went and had a conversation with my um, employer at the time and came to a good arrangement. And that became the beginning. The 14th, 14th of April 2020 was really the date when I took that leap, went for that long walk for two hours and said to myself, oh my God, like I'm actually doing this. <laughs> and the fear kind of kicked in. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I always think that actually it takes pain in our lives to shift us. And it shouldn't, but it kind of does. Like it takes being fired, it takes a pandemic, it takes something big happen to shift us to make mm -hmm. things happen. And I've been saying mm -hmm. to people recently, like, we don't have to wait for that to happen. We can decide mm -hmm. to do it earlier. Like, no matter yes. what it is, we can do that. Mm -hmm. But that pain motivates us. And it sounds like you had a, a huge dose of pain that mm -hmm. made you change your world. I always look at it as a point of no return event. And I've got many of them. Many. <laughs> For example, 2009, newly qualified accountant got made redundant straight away. Oh. Global, global financial crisis. For me, that was a point of no return. Another point, point of no return event was sitting with my boss in a job back in, I think, 2016 or whenever, in a room. And she literally said to me, listen, if you don't do what I tell you right now, your entire job is in my hands. I'm in complete control of it. Wow. And when you hear stuff like that from your own boss, you realize that, you know what? Thank goodness I've been kind of working and kind of preparing a bit of a plan for myself because like the last thing you want is someone kind of switching your career off, switching your job off because they can, you know, because it's within their power to be able to do that. Uh, the others are my, my journey. I'm, I'm a first generation immigrant to this country, um, struggling in this country to get my, my papers, to get my rights in this country, to operate like everybody else. You know, I've never, I haven't always been a British citizen, you know, it's a hustle to kind of get to that place where you're able to say you are, you know. And so for me, again, that's another point of no return because like uh, it's been a huge driver for me, you know, trying to make it, trying to find a way to kind of, um, I guess, catch up as it were, you know, um, and so on. So first generation immigrant, when did you come to the UK? When, mm -hmm. when did your parents emigrate? Where did you come from? When did you come... So I came to the UK at the age of 14 in 1998. It was the summer okay. of 1998 and I was, um, I moved here from Lagos in Nigeria with my siblings and my mum. My dad was already in the UK. He'd been here a few years before, about four or five years before that to go, you know, here to kind of scope out, see what life's like and that sort of stuff. And uh, so we moved here to to join my dad and kind of reunite, you know, as a teenager, um, living without your dad, living with just your mum as a single parent is a difficult thing, you know. So for me, reuniting with my dad was actually a pretty big deal um, starting life. But it was a huge culture shock. You know, you're, you're in a new country, you're in a different environment, uh, new culture, new, new everything, basically, you know, like no friends, you know, you're starting again. And for me, that was year 11. Like in this, imagine what it's wow. like, Alan. You, you will know starting a new life in year 11, like the last year of your um, <laughs> of your secondary school, 
is when you show up and um and, and you're and you're starting with a strong african accent african accent and all those things um so for me it was it was bullying it was being pushed around it was all those things that you'd expect because like you're fresh you're freshy people call you all these names you know and on top of that because i didn't have a lot of i didn't have the rights you know like when you're new to a country you don't have like you can't just go and claim benefits you can't just go and claim get on the nhs like i didn't have all those things so it meant that like my personality was shaped a lot from that that stage of my life like i became very 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 um very quiet individual like I, I just minded my own business a lot whilst trying to figure life out and trying to figure like how how to navigate this country and how to win in this place like how do people make it you know so for me a lot of my like desire to kind of want to create the life I love and create a life for my family has actually come from just always remembering like what we've gone through in this country like you know my parents doing cleaning jobs you know everybody work doing anything and these are not jobs where you get pay slips but jobs basically where you basically make like 80 quid or whatever and you know you use that to pay for your food and stuff so for me a lot of that a lot of that desire even today you know because like you know I, I essentially got wired up from from those experiences so even today when i think oh wow like we've progressed a fair bit since then um i still i still think back to those days you know and when I look at our children, they're far more like, I guess, far more privileged now compared to, you know, kind of where I came from. It, it's now my, I guess what I'm trying to do now is to kind of teach them how to really appreciate the really small things, you know, because like when you don't have, it's very difficult. It's actually very difficult when you don't have, um, when you don't have money or have a job or, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. So you moved to the UK with a huge culture shock, because let's be honest, British people are a little bit weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had a strong a, accent. A yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I feel like Nigeria and British culture are some of the most opposite in a lot yeah. of ways. Quite, quite extreme. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think like you had this thing that you became quiet at school. Mm. Was that a protection thing about not yes. standing out and avoiding Correct. the bullying? Absolutely. 100%. I stopped speaking. I couldn't speak to girls, for example. Like, you know, and I couldn't even speak to the uh, guys because the guys would pick on me. I'd speak, I'd try and speak to girls and girls would laugh at me. So <laughs> it was, it was like, you know, when you just feel like you're just alone, you know, and nice. for me and my family, I'm first, I'm only, I'm, I've got a brother, but he's my like he's 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 not my he's my, actually my uncle but he's this he's a year older than me so my parents took him on as like one of my siblings so he's my brother oh, wow. since like childhood so but theoretically like properly I'm the only I'm the firstborn child of my parents and the only son so I had a from Af from African culture perspective I have a lot of responsibility you know so imagine like at that stage of my life you know, struggling and trying to navigate stuff, but also having my sisters looking up to me to show them, like, how do we navigate this country and stuff like that. It's actually a really, really difficult time, you know, whilst also the pressure of trying to do your GCSEs, you know. I was in year 11. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was a very interesting stage of my life, put it that way, you know. Um, it was just so interesting. Even small things like the weather, you know, like, 
you know, I've been, uh, you know, I'm born and bred, you know, like I play football a lot as a child on the streets, but, you know, it's very different here. Like you couldn't just like, I couldn't play football barefooted on the street anymore. It was just different, like just a different vibe, you know, it's a different place, different vibe, different, different everything. So it's like you've been exported into a different world and you have to find a way of either fitting in or um, standing out. I don't, you know, you, you just have to find a way of surviving in that space and, and kind of thriving. But I also have to say, like, I recognize that this country was like a goldmine, you know, because like I could see very clearly that things were very structured, very organized. There was a, a, a rule of law. Um, there were like job centers and, you know, like there was stuff. There's like, you could do stuff and you could actually like make it, you know? So mm. the question was, how do I figure out how to do it? Like, what are people doing to make it? And how do I do it? So I, I too can make it, you know, that was really it. So the whole journey was focusing on my education, studying, trying to ace it at school, whilst also learning to be street smart and learning things um, from my parents and people around me and so on. So like, one of the things I've noticed throughout this conversation, Ken, is the questions you ask yourself. And you were talking about experimenting mm. and you said, how do I do it? And you were talking about sort of being a parent, having kids, having a full time job. And how do I do it? I think so many times people don't ask them those questions and they just generally focus on why they can't do it. Like I've got kids, I've got a full-time job. I can't do it. You yeah. asked almost the exact opposite question, which is how do I do it? And then you oh, sort yeah. of started asking more and more questions and throughout I've started writing down your questions because <laughs> I love them. Um, but how do I do it? How do I make progress? How do I build this? How do I experiment? And but then you started the story you just told was how do I figure out how to make it? Mm -hmm. Most people in my experience don't ask those positive questions. Mm -hmm. I struggle to, when I'm in my down moments, mm -hmm. like if I'm down and I'm in a problem, I just end up focusing on the problem and huffing around the place mm -hmm. until I get myself a bit more resourceful and ask a positive question. Yeah. Like where did this come from? Were you born with the ability to ask positive questions? Uh, no, no, no. I've just, I've, over time, I've grown to develop a different mindset gradually, gradually. Um, and one, one really important mindset that I hope people can relate to in a way is that I believe very strongly. So today we're making this interview, it's a Wednesday, right? And to me, in my mind, tomorrow and everything that happens after tomorrow is completely unclaimed land. Nobody owns it. It's like, imagine like imagine London with nothing built on it. So for me, I see tomorrow and everything else that's coming as like completely unclaimed. And I have the opportunity today to decide what gets built tomorrow. Okay, that's how I look at it. So that means how I look at life today really matters. What I choose to do with my money today matters. What I choose to do with my time today really matters because it effectively builds tomorrow. It effectively helps me to build on that unclaimed land tomorrow. So for me, it's not a question of like, why can't I do it and all this stuff. It's more, it's more like, how do I do it? Because I know like, you know, it's, it's everybody listening to this call, uh, this, this podcast right now can create tomorrow. We, we're literally the only species in the world 
that have the possibility to create futures. Like we create anything. Human beings create, right? So for me, from whether it's your career, whether it's your relationship, whether it's your business, whether it's your health, whatever it is, we have it within our capability to change things up. And so for me, that's where that idea comes from. That's why I'm always asking this question, because I know like from a mindset perspective, I've, I've already had that switch turned on. I'm, I'm constantly thinking, well, well, tomorrow is unclaimed. Like I can, I can affect tomorrow. Like I can, I can change things up. And that's helped me with my mindset around everything I've done so far. If on my career choices, you know, typically, you know, before I would always think, oh, okay. So, you know, my career could go in this one direction. I'm an accountant. Yes. I've become a CFO. Oh, wow. That's great. But then I think to myself, well, actually like whose idea is that? Like, the whole future, I can shift and change it however I want. You know, like, why can't I go on, like, I don't know, do what I'm doing today and create on YouTube? Why can't I go and, you know, there isn't one path. There are infinite paths. There are infinite possibilities in the future that is unclaimed. So that mindset is really what is where those questions are really coming from. There's that well, deep-rooted mindset. And that's that's just come from... My mum, for example, is a huge inspiration. She's an entrepreneur. She's like, oh my God, you don't even, I, I don't even want to get started, man. Like my mum's <laughs> huge, huge inspiration. Like uh, my dad's in, is huge inspiration, but my mum, oh my goodness, listen, right? Ah, uh, you know when like, ah, uh, well, anyway, this, is, this, podcast, this podcast could be very long if I started. But basically a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my deep, rooted kind of mindset shifts have come from just like really just observing people I love really elevate and level up and push themselves outside their comfort zone to make things happen and the more I see that the more I surround myself with that the more I find myself pushing myself outside my comfort zone to also make things happen and to elevate so how do you think how did your mum cope with coming to a completely new country Mm-hmm. And starting with cleaning jobs, mm-hmm. like how did that shift and level up change over the years? Was it easy mm-hmm. for her, or did she have to fight oh. the weird British culture? Uh okay. So this is quite an emotion- <laughs> This is quite a this is quite a big question, an emotional one for me because I, I want to just lay lay out, just mm. paint the picture. So. Picture this, 1998, she was in her mid-40s, yeah? Mid-40s with four children, right? Wow. No money, no rights in a new country. Picture that. Because the reason I've painted that picture, I want people to realise that it's never too late for them. My mum's financially independent today. She's FI completely, runs her her own businesses, owns properties. She's doing very well. She's in her 60s, right? So I want to just give you the timeline, right? So if anyone who's listening thinking, well, actually, how do you create possibilities in your life? In your life, I just want to lay out my mum's a case study, okay? How did she cope? Wow. She coped by starting to adapt, first of all. She would do three jobs. Like, literally, she would have um, a job washing plate, for example. Then she would go to another one where she'd work on the checkout um, at, a, at, a, at a supermarket. Then she'd go and do a night job. And in a day, she might end up working about 16 to 18 hours and then come home, touch base, and then get back out again. All of this for cash in hand, very 
well, work that a lot of people will not do, basically put it that way, because people say it's quite degrading work and stuff like that. But for her, as someone who had some social status in Nigeria to move here and seeking, you know, supposedly a much better life and all those things, it's quite a huge radical shift. Not to mention, yes. it's not a kind of job, you know, people, you know, like the immigrant culture, like people, they, they look at you, they're like, oh, wow, you've made it. Like you're in England, like, wow, like life must be good. And then she's hiding, doing these jobs and, you know, mm. never telling anybody what kind of job she's doing to kind of make the money. Um, so for her, it was a big, a big shift. And then to add to that, when you're that age, it's actually quite hard to, sh to shift your accent. So not only are yes. you a black woman, but you're also African, but you also have a, sh a very strong accent. And back then, dare I say, there was no Afrobeats. There was no popular culture. Because today you look, you're like, you've got uh, Burner Boy, you've got all these people. So Afro music, uh, you know, Nigerian culture, African culture is very, very popular today. But back then, it was terrible being African in the UK. Like you were called all kinds of names. You know, so for her as a woman as well, as a woman, dare I say, it was very, very difficult. So to get out of all of that, for her, the path was entrepreneurship because she couldn't go to a job center and go and say, oh, can I please have a job, please? No one will give her a job because she didn't have the, you know, the documents and all those things. So for us all, and for my mum, it was all about creating value. How do I like, you know, um, start something? She started multiple things. You know, how do I create a business from like nothing, from the little money I've collected from my job at a cash, machine, a cash point? She started a cleaning business. She started a recruit, you know, recruitment business. She started various things over the years. And business became the way out. This is why, like, when you look at me now, like, I've got such, like, for me, like, entrepreneurship is, like, my, it's my thing, man. Like, I'm so driven, <laughs> you know, for me, because, like, it's been wired into me watching my mom navigate life trying to like trying to survive basically sounds it's really interesting isn't it because my initial reaction is i'm so sorry she had a tough time and wanting to apologize for that no <laughs> i think that whole like that's hideous that stuff mm. and then my second reaction is that helped her become who she is and helped yes. you become who you are Yes. And like I think when I like I tell people that I was bullied at school and when I was listening to you I'm like oh my god I've been through so much of what you've been through from a different <laughs> angle. Yeah. Like mine was fat glasses etc mm -hmm. etc mm -hmm. for years. Um and, but it made me who I am today. Mm -hmm. And do I want to go through it again? No. If I did, well, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same if I went through it again now. <laughs> it wouldn't stay. Mm -hmm. It would just be different. Um, but those things end up making you who you are. And I yeah. love the message of that she came to the UK at 40 years old, completely mid 40s. Starting again, mid 40s. Yeah. Yes. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, I guess. I'm struggling to formulate my questions because I'm thinking, mm. wow, what a story, what inspiration. Mm. Like, what do you think drove her into that entrepreneurship? You said she couldn't get the job. Ah. Did you mm -hmm. did you come over with papers like as mm -hmm. in like you were a UK citizen or mm -hmm. you had to like arrive and then set that up later? Yes. Yeah, so... Are you a UK citizen, Ken? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully today. <laughs> 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 Thankfully 
thankfully today I am. Yeah, but um, we basically we basically moved here with uh, our pass- Nigerian passports. So you move here and okay. uh, you have to then seek um, residency. You have to try and you know yes. apply and all those things. But it takes a very long time, and they just forget about you. And for us, they just they just forgot about us. And they basically said, "You can't work, you can't claim benefits, you can't do anything." But hey, oh, go God. and survive somehow. <laughs> and so um, it was all about trying to figure life out. And you know, like this is the thing about like I say to people a lot when I meet so many people in my world now through comments, emails, like DMs, and like and people tell me their problems. And I often think to myself, you know. Those are serious problems, yes. But like, if, honestly, if I told you like where I've come from, you'd understand like that your future mm. possibility is huge. Like, and I think it, that's why a lot of the work when it comes to money and it comes to all these things is really mindset. It's really mindset. So a lot of the work is mindset because I think if people have understood mindset, then they can build on their skill set and then they can acquire uh, you know the right tool set mm. to actually create the life that they want, right? But the, the thing that underlies it, almost the foundation, is mindset. And for me, that has been the thing that I've acquired through experience and through, like, navigating life and, you know, figuring stuff out. And and this is, oh, this actually, this is why the whole idea of, like, life design really suited me. Because, like, I started to come across interesting blogs and, you know, all these various American blogs and things. You know, and I'd think to myself, wow, like you know, a lot of these guys, like they've actually, they've actually done something quite incredible. How can I try and do the same thing? Mm. Um, so yeah, anyway, a lot of it's down to mindset. And I think I'm fascinated by this. I remember going on a course many, many years ago and it said like, it's 80% mindset, 20%, how do you do it? And I remember at the time going like, piss off, get lost. Like, I am doing it. I'm doing everything I can. Just tell me how to do it and I'll follow it. And I really didn't get it. And it's only years and years and years later that I'm starting to realize, okay, like actually it is, how do I positively wake up each day? How do I stay driven? How do I make things happen? How do I create the future of tomorrow? And all those questions of staying positive. Mm-hmm. But getting practical, like how do you actually develop a positive mindset and stay positive despite what's mm-hmm. going on in the world? How do we do this, Ken? Okay, so um, it, it's to, to answer that question, it's good to actually go back to how our um, mindsets are actually formed and stuff like that. So a lot of this is actually tied to um, almost the blueprint we were raised with. So, you know, mm. in our formative years, um, the way we grew up mattered a lot actually shaped who we become as as young adults and stuff like that so for example if your parents were like oh you know i i I do everything myself to save money then you'd be that person who would as a business owner do everything yourself because you're trying to save money right so the way in which we start to almost uh remap or develop the right mindset and all those things is through a bunch of things so one of them um, is through uh, repetition. So um, if you if you look for evidence of success around you um, and repeat what you're seeing, the chances are you will come close, you, you come close in terms of results to that evidence of success that you found. So for example, say right now, I wanted to create making it up, I don't know, 
a business in a particular type of area. And I went and I, I started to hang around with people. I joined a group of people who maybe a group on online or offline or whatever. And I started to hang around with those people. And I started to repeat the patterns that I, I was seeing. The chances are my, my mindset will shift from, I, I, I don't think I can do it to, well, actually there is a pathway to doing this and I can see evidence of how you do it. And I'm going to try and implement what I'm seeing to see if I can get the same results. Okay, so, re so repetition matters a lot. Another way when it comes to mindset is there, there is power, Alan, in words. I, I often say to people that words, words either build or words destroy. Mm. I, I, I try to keep, teach my kids this, that the words you the words you put out matter a lot. And you know how I said to you that, you know, human beings are the only, um, I guess, I guess species or, you know, you know, whatever, the only people in the world, essentially, um, that can build futures, right? Um, the words we speak actually builds those futures or it actually keeps us where we are or pushes us backwards. So if you keep saying to yourself, I'm really rubbish at this, you will actually stay rubbish at it. It's really that simple. If you keep saying to yourself, I'm getting a lot better at this, you will get better at it over time. So the word we project either builds us up or it keeps us back where we are. So for me, a big part of my mindset is I don't surround myself with people who utter negative words all the time. I just don't have time for that. Um, I... I don't find it builds me. It just does nothing for me. So I, I just I just keep away from that negativity. Instead, when I surround myself with people who are um, who have an opt optimistic way of looking at life, who believe in problem solving, who believe in seeking out solutions, I find that I also want to do those things. My mindset's completely changed. I'm like, wow, like how do I figure this stuff out? You know, and even if my day hasn't gone that well, I'm like, okay, do you know what? Tomorrow will be a better day. I'm going to figure it out, you know, and, and, I, and I focus on tomorrow to try and figure it out. So words, I'd say, is one that I hope everyone can kind of relate to in a way um, as a way of doing that. And then a third one I might share might just be around behaviours and habits. Um, because I've personally found that, you know, there are obviously behaviours that help you uh, shift your mindset and then there are behaviours that don't. So, for example, I wake up daily and do a 5am club. Now, you might go like, what, well, Ken, like, are you actually being serious? I should show up at 5 a.m. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I actually do. I, I log in to my Zoom and all my all my community members are on Zoom. And we're together at 5 a.m. We read a book together and we, you know, share stories together. But what that does, Alan, is it helps me shift my mindset. It helps me to, you know, uh, shift away from my default, you know, my old ways, which is that, oh, actually, I just stay in my duvet and, like, sleep till 7.30 and snooze my alarm three times and then wake up the last minute, <laughs> get up and then run and, and, and leg it and make and, and make it to the station. When in actual fact, well, actually, I want, to begin, I want to begin my day with a completely radically different mindset. I want to feel like I'm ahead and feel like I'm winning. So waking up and kind of changing my behavior and stuff like that, doing things that shift that behavior, help me to improve my mindset. I love that. I'm going to introduce you to my friend Joel, who runs the 5am club, and you two can talk ah. at 5am. I, I will probably <laughs> still be in bed at that point. Rest. Um, I'm a big fan of sleep. Uh, but I do absolutely agree with the setting those behaviours, mm. and you're training yourself that you start the day positively 
which mm. I think is the key message. Like for everyone listening to this, it doesn't have to be at 5 a.m. It can no, be at no. whatever time you want to do it. But no. starting the day positively with those messages is phenomenal. And yes. I think that's one of the most critical pieces to building a positive mindset is those habits that build that into your day because it's mm-hmm. so easy to get dragged back down into the negative behavior and mindset. It's so easy to watch the latest series at night and end up mm-hmm. thinking negatively. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you said about the surround yourself with people that are positive and infectious. Yeah. I actually think part of that is the TV shows and the media we watch. Mm-hmm. So before I say my theory, I do you watch many TV shows, Ken? So I'll tell you now, I, I'm i actually very deliberate about what I listen to and what I let my eyes get exposed to, uh, generally. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to Audible uh, quite a lot. Mm. I, I like those uh, resources. I also listen to YouTube when, you know, when I'm not working on YouTube. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but... Um, uh, TV shows. I I have a habit of running away from shows that are that go on for too long. You know, that want to suck me in and kind of keep me watching like back to back, back to back, back to back. I, I just I I've fallen into the trap before a few times, but I just I prefer not to fall into that trap. So so I prefer like documentaries. I quite like documentaries. Um, they just speak to me slightly differently, and I like classic films. I like kind of going back and watching slightly older films. Because um, I just think they're better made and and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, apart from that, you know, I, I, I oh, and that's the other thing as well is when I think about movies, I always look for something I can learn from a film. If I watch a film, I always feel like mm. films speak to me in so many ways. Like the film Gladiator, for example, one of my favorite films, uh, like ever. Um, I it's funny, like I don't know if it's because I'm I'm quite a visual person in a way. When I watch a scene, like for example, I could watch the scene of I don't know. Uh, Maximus fighting in the, you know, in the, uh, I don't know, call it Colosseum or in the auditorium thing. But I can relate, I could relate that to budgeting. It's a weird thing. Like the, way my, <laughs> the way my mind works. Like I could, I could, I could find, I could build an entire story from that scene I'm seeing in the movie. It's a weird thing. And I, maybe it's because I'm, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting when you're, when you geek out on something so much, you must relate so many things in your, your mundane life to, the thing that you work that you're working on like I could go for a walk and I could relate the fact that it's really sunny and like I don't know like you know the trees are really like looking beautiful to something really random like talking about investing so I always find a way of connecting small details to you know to what I'm working on I just find it just makes it just makes things more interesting but I want to hear your theory though what was your theory on like media and stuff like that well, my theory is that the TV shows are part of who you surround yourself with. So, you know, you say you like gravitate towards the five closest people to you. Yeah. If the five closest people to you are the people in the latest TV show that spend their entire life making huge mistakes and arguments and you actually gravitate towards them. And I started watching, there was a latest series um it was about, I can't even remember the name of the series, about a young girl who started taking drugs, becoming a mess. Uh, and what, okay. Our friends were all recommending it. Like, it's out right now. They were okay. saying, you've got to watch this. 
And I watched the first episode and I'm like, this is all going wrong. This is the opposite, my love. I, I actually felt <laughs> physically like I can't watch this. I don't want to watch this. Mm. And I said to Katie, I can't watch this because other shows like uh, Coronation Street, EastEnders, it's just people mm. shouting at each other all the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, it, it affects my psychology positively. Mm. It drags me down. And I think... I think we should actually be starting to tell people like these are some of the five people you're spending time with. Mm-hmm. So if you're spending your time with X character, they will affect your psychology and the way you operate as much as the real person that's next to you. Do you know, it's interesting to say that. I think another one to kind of throw in the mix is social media. Like social media is actually a really interesting thing because it can work so well for you if you use it in the right way but it can work so much against you as well if you if all you do is you're constantly in everybody's lives like literally constantly like you know everything about everybody and I personally I found personally in my own in my own life that when I when I spend too much time on social media it starts to affect me like literally affects my Mm -hmm. my mood um, and so I've come up with rules where I basically, I basically cut off, I, I, I create, I put stuff out, but I don't sit constantly flicking any longer. There's an app on my phone called a digital wellbeing. It's on the Android. It's called digital wellbeing. And I, it got revealed to me once, like, you know, when you check like how long you've been on various, like these various apps. And I saw ones that in a day I must've spent at least four hours on one of the social platforms and it really really like you know when you know when like something really shocks you so much that you go completely the other way (laughs) delete it delete it i I started tracking (laughs) tracking everything now i've become like like ridiculously obsessed with just making sure that i'm not wasting my life on social media you can put stuff on but like you know move on Don't, don't spend too much time on that yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you get rewarded for engagement. The more you yeah. engage with people, yeah. the more they boost your posts, the yeah. more it goes places. It's really fascinating how the game tries to suck you in, um, which is their reward versus the other side. So look, it's been an incredible journey chatting to you today. I really want to know, like, people who are out there trying to design their life, mm-hmm. build their life, create their life exactly as they want to, you've come so far mm-hmm. on your journey like arriving in the UK at 14 and becoming an accountant becoming a CFO completely changing direction and becoming a YouTuber and a blogger talk about <laughs> a difference from using numbers to words yeah. you've made a huge shift um and this year you're going to be a speaker at Chautauqua which is so yes. exciting Ooh, you're joining I us in Colombia <laughs> I cannot wait. JL Collins, the whole crew. Listen, I cannot wait for that. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. We're so excited you're coming out to hang out. Like your advice to people mm. about creating the life you want, because one of the expressions of the show is the extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Yes. What's your advice to people as they're on this journey, as they're going through what they're doing to 
to keep them going, to stay focused, to to create. Maybe they haven't even started creating. Like a lot of people who mm-hmm. listen to this are looking for inspiration to start mm-hmm. the mini experiment. What's your advice to people on lifestyle design and creating as we wrap up this episode? Wow, great question. So I'd say um, I often ask people, uh, imagine that I gave you a blank sheet of A3 and I gave you a pencil and I asked you to draw That's the type of life you ideally want to, to be living or where you want to end mm-hmm. up at. And some of the core questions I ask people are, in the life that you're trying to build for yourself, what exactly are you doing in that life? Where are you living in that life? How much money are you making in that life? Who are you with in that life? Um, What is your typical day in that life? Like when you wake up to like when you go to bed, like what are you doing exactly? And so on. And the reason I ask that question is that it's not very often that we put our smartphones down and do an exercise like this one, where we are actually thinking about something that doesn't exist yet, a future that could become. You know how I said said to you at the very beginning that tomorrow and every day that comes after is unclaimed land. So that exercise of actually trying to map out on an A3 sheet of paper is literally you creating the blueprint for the life that you might want to create for yourself. And this is something that absolutely anyone can do if they would put their smartphone down and actually do it, yeah? Now, now, once you've done that piece of work, I have a framework that I often share with people. It's the P-O-S-T framework. P stands for purpose, O stands for objectives, S stands for strategy, and T stands for tactics. Let me explain what I mean real quick. P for purpose means your why. That life that you want for yourself, why do you want it? What is your core desire? Like, what is the thing that's pushing you and nudging you to want that life? For example, is it because you want to spend more time with your spouse? Is it because you'd love to travel? Is it because you want to raise your children whilst also being present and not constantly being late for pickups? Like, what is it that's driving you for wanting that life that you want? Because that why then decides everything else that will follow. Out of that why is then a question of the O, the objectives. What is the goal that you need to aim for in order to achieve that purpose you've set out? The objective needs to be very clear. For example, is it a million dollars? by the year 2030, the 31st of December? Or is it 750,000 pounds by the next seven years on a particular date? What is it that will get you there? You know, what is it you're you're aiming for? Is it your health? Are you trying to maybe lose, lose 10 kilos by a certain date? Is it, you know, is it your relationship? Do you want to um, say to yourself, I, do you know what? I want to do a, a date night every week, or I want to, you know, uh, uh, I want to maybe go out running once a week. Like, what, what are those specific objectives that you need from all those dimensions of your life that you drew out on that sheet of paper that you need to be very clear on are the things you are trying to achieve. The reason this is important is that it stops you being distracted by everybody else. There's so much noise out there you scroll on Instagram, you suddenly think you want that life that somebody else has. When in actual fact, what you need is the life that you 
truly want to design, not the life that somebody else is living out, possibly based on somebody else's life that they've seen, right? So having that clear objective really puts you in your lane. And this is, again, a mindset thing, because you need to realize that your neighbor buying a BMW has nothing to do with you at all, okay? Because you have got your own goals and you need to focus on those goals and live them out because they are deep-rooted on that purpose that you had talked, I talked about earlier. And then out of those objectives, you then build strategy. Because out of strategy, strategy tells you your how. So strategy is, should I be investing in stock market? Should I buy index funds or ETFs? You know, should I start a side hustle? Should I, you know, should I be work? Should I go down to a four-day week so that I can use my fifth day to work on my business? This is all strategy. Because the strategy builds the objectives, the objectives builds the purpose. And then the tactics, the T, are then the small steps. Say your fitness levels are not very good. A tactic could be I put my running shoes by my bedside so that I can wake up, put those running shoes on, and actually go and actually go and do it. A tactic could be I actually go to bed at 9:30 instead of binging Ozarks till you know 12:30 in the morning. And then I can't wake up and go and do the running that I wanted to do. Those are tactics. So when you then combine all those elements, the purpose, the objectives, the strategy, the tactics, those all together help you to design the life you truly want. I love that. I absolutely <laughs> love that. And one of the things I've been realizing recently, and I've say it, the extraordinary is built by those who create it. The extraordinary is created by the mundane actions you do every day. Because yeah. it sounds like an extraordinary future getting to the business, the FI, the whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But it's involved with the daily actions of making a call, getting up early, um, having one less alpha hordes per day so that you're not as fat. Um, yep. I might be speaking <laughs> to myself there. Uh, <laughs> but those daily things are the where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. um, Ken... You've been fabulous. I've loved this episode. I've loved your energy, oh, your beaming fun, smile. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been brilliant. Like, so thehumblepenny.com is where people go to find the blog. Yes. Uh, the YouTube channel has absolutely taken off recently. Um, mm. Where can people see more of your content on YouTube? Do they just search yeah, Humble so, Penny? Yeah, just search The Humble Penny on YouTube or go to, to youtube.com forward slash the humble penny um that just takes you straight to the youtube channel uh where we put out two pieces of content per week one every tuesday and one every thursday typically around 4 p.m bst thereabouts so yeah i love that thank you so much for coming on the show to everyone listening to this there has never been a better time to start building the life you want to live. Mm -hmm. So please take the tools, tips, techniques, the ideas and the posts and <laughs> go out there and build the life of your dreams. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.